Buenos días, familia de fe. Buenos días, hermanos y hermanas. Good morning, my family of faith. Good morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is such a joy to be with you this morning. And I love how that ends. It's like, bloom, and I feel like I'm just like in this little fairy tale. It's kind of cool. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure I said that to you. Uh, so I have two things before we start. These two cool updates that I want to share with you about our church. So the first one is next Sunday. Well, really, we're both next Sunday, but the first one's in the morning. So next Sunday, September 13th, is going to be a unique Sunday for us. We're going to have a man named Anthony Scott come to our church, and he's going to be preaching about the unity of the church and what that looks like. And what's so cool about Anthony Scott is that he is a pastor of such an amazing church in, in North Tulsa. So it's First Baptist Church, North Tulsa. And that church is, the congregation is majority made up of, of African-American individuals, of black people, which is so awesome. Because right now, we don't have much of that in our congregation. And so we need to hear from other brothers and sisters of the faith that are from other color and other background. And that's okay. And that's awesome. And that'll be happening September 13th, which is next Sunday. And he's going to be both camp, on both campuses. But on the Owasso campus, he's going to be live, like in person. And here, he's going to be on the screen. And that's going to be okay. I'm going to be here to facilitate all of that, and that's going to be awesome. And we're going to learn so much. And I'm so grateful for that because it's a start of this friendship and, and this congregation's coming together because September 20th, our senior pastor, Chris Wall, who's a pastor of a church that's majority white, is going to go to his congregation and go preach at their church and their congregation. And it's going to be awesome to begin this relationship of not just going to each other's churches for the sake of like diversity and variety, but for the sake of equity and serving together and loving each other and understanding one another and listening to one another. So I'm really excited for that. So the second thing is September 13th, the same day, but it's at 4 o'clock. Okay, so I want to invite you to a baptism service next Sunday, September 13th, 4 o'clock. I'm saying it again so you can write it down because it's going to be at the Owasso campus and it's going to be outside. And unsurprisingly, the Lord has been working throughout this COVID time and the people have come to know the Lord and they've come to understand that, hey, I need to be baptized. And so we have a lot of people ready to be baptized. And so I want to invite you guys to come out to the Owasso campus outside for this baptism service that we're going to have at four o'clock. So don't miss out. That's going to be an awesome time. And so as we begin, I have a couple questions for us. And so is there anyone in this room right now that's just a huge fan of Paw Patrol? Anyone just like a Paw Patrol fan? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Isn't that awesome? Look at this guy. It's Paw Patrol. They love it. It's awesome. Okay, we have a fan of Paw Patrol over there. Okay. So is anybody a fan, just a huge fan of like Disney movies? Okay. What about Lion King, right? Lion King, anybody? Classic. Right, classic, and then Disney now, I mean, they have Marvel, and they have Star Wars, and they have Spider-Man, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Disney owns everything pretty much now. Okay, so we have huge fans of that. Do you have any sports fans in here, like OU, OSU, all kind of stuff? Okay, I really don't know who's better. I don't know if OU's better, OSU's better. I just know that, like, red and orange don't mix, not even over guac. Like, they can't come together over guac. Like, I just know it just doesn't happen, and I'm like... I don't understand. I don't know who's better. I, I didn't grow up, you know, playing football or whatever. But as you see on the screen, we have this basketball court with Kobe Bryant's number on it. So I'm a huge basketball fan. Okay, so I grew up playing basketball and actually grew up loving the Lakers. My brother Caleb and I would stay up late and we'd watch this NBA Finals game and 
Caleb actually cried one time because they lost a playoff game. And I was like, dude, it's okay. It's only game two. Like, it's fine. There's still more basketball to be played. Don't worry about it. But he cried, and I was like, oh, my goodness. So <laughs> I show these things because we have some fan of Paw Patrol and some other stuff. But I show these things because really all we are is just fans, right? We see these professionals doing their things, and we see Paw Patrol people doing their things. But we're just spectators watching other people's work. And I promise you that NBA players that are way taller than I am are not saying, hey, man, follow me, do what I do, and, and maybe one day we're going to sub you in, and that's going to be awesome. I'm going to be like, no, man, that's, that's just not what I do. It's not what I can do. That's just not me. But there's a difference here, and this is what we see in this passage, that there's a difference between being a fan and a follower. There's a huge difference between being a fan and a follower because as followers, really what this means is that we're following in the footsteps of another person and we're learning from them to do what they do and to say what they say and we're so influenced by them and and really what they're saying is, hey, man, let's just reproduce what we are doing and you're going to do that too. And as we look into our text this morning, which is what we read during our time of singing, is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And as we look into this passage, we see that there's this huge difference that the Lord is telling us between a a follower and a fan, because we are to be followers of Jesus, and we're not meant to just be these spectating fans that are cheering Jesus on. But we are supposed to be participators and participating followers of Jesus, doing what he does, saying what he says, and really what he has commanded and commissioned us to do. So as we look at this passage, we have a textual idea that I want to make sure we get. And it's that as Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he commissions and commands all of his disciples, all of his followers to go out into the world under his authority, under his lordship, and under his teaching. Okay, so I want, to, I want you guys to write this down. This is our sermon idea. And our sermon idea is this, is that we are Jesus followers, not Jesus fans. We are Jesus followers, not Jesus fans. So as we go into this text, I want to highlight two truths about who God is. It's going to be really simple. It's going to be awesome. And then we're going to look at two applicational points as we dive into the text together. And so if you'll turn with me, Matthew 28, verse 16, we're going to start right there, and it says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to stop right there just for a moment. So as we look at verse 16, we see that these 11 disciples, they go to Galilee to this mountain that had been designated beforehand. So I'm sure this conversation had happened where Jesus was like, hey, after I come back alive and I'm there with you, let's go to this mountain and hang out. Okay, and so now these disciples in verse 17 are going up this mountain and they see the glorified Jesus there. And all they can do is just worship just fall on their knees and saying, Lord, that's you, your glorified body. But then they're at the end of 17, verse 17, we see that some doubted, right? And so some translations will actually say that some hesitated. You know, I can't imagine these disciples going up this mountain and seeing the resurrected, glorified Jesus, and they're like, 
what do I do? Do I, do I hug him? Do I fall on my face? Do, do I give him a handshake? That's kind of how we feel during COVID. We're like, uh-huh. You know, it's like, what do I do? God is right there. And so some hesitate and they're like, how do I react to this glorified Lord that's in front of me? And in a sense, it's not that they were refusing to believe that that was God. It's just, I can't imagine just what they felt like. And that's what we see in verse 17. And then verse 18, we see that Jesus gives this huge announcement. He practically saying, look, in case you didn't realize or in case you didn't notice, in case you didn't understand that I was dead and now I'm not, that I have all this power, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Boom, there it is. This idea is also reflected in Philippians 2 verse 11. And this idea is that that, that's continued really is that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he was given this title of Messianic Lord, that he was this Messianic Lord over all things. And in a sense, it's not that Jesus, before he died and rose again, it, it wasn't that he didn't have all authority before, but it was in this process of God's divine plan of completing and fulfilling all that he said he was going to do in our temporal time. It was in that moment and of that resurrection that he was no longer just the God of Israel, a God of the Jews, but he was the God and the boss and the savior of all people. Amen. Not just a people, but of all people like us. Because we're the Gentiles, we're not Jew. I mean, there might be a Jewish person in here, but that's definitely not me. So I'm so grateful for the Lord and his doing in that. And so what we see is that all authority was given to him, and now he has a name that is above every other name, that every tongue confess that he is Lord. Whether it's heavens or earth or under the earth or all over the earth, he is the one in charge with all authority. And let me tell you, Jesus' universal lordship, his universal lordship now demands a universal mission. Jesus' universal lordship now demands a universal mission. And that's the focus that we see as we go into verse 19. This focus here is this command that we are to evangelize in a way that doesn't just stop at someone's conversion, but it goes beyond that and baptizing them and making disciples. And as we land here at verse 19, this is where we get our first point together. And it's going to be a weighty point, and we're going to really just hit the surface of the depths of this. But in verse 19, we see that God is triune. God is triune. So as we look here in, in verse 19, it says, Therefore go, make disciples, and baptize in the name. Now notice that. It doesn't say names. It says name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this right here is just such a clear description that we have in Scripture of God being one in three and that God is triune. And, and I know this can be a little confusing, uh, but let me tell you, this, this past week I had a conversation with my little 11-year-old brother. Okay, he's about to turn 12. And, and he called me and we were talking. And, uh, and I asked him a simple question. I said, hey, man tell me one thing that you've learned about God in the past couple of weeks. And there was silence. He was like, hmm. He goes, you know what, man? The one thing I've learned about God is that it's really hard to understand him. And I have so many questions. And I was like, yeah, same. 
Same, I have so many questions. And so he began to ask all these questions. And one of the questions he asked me, he goes, how is God three in one? And I was like, oof, okay. I was like, all right, well, you're 11. All right, let's see if we can do this. And so we were to talk a little bit. And before we talked about that, I, I wanted him to make sure about a couple things. I said, his name is Hasiel. I was like, Hasiel, you have to understand that God is so much bigger than who we are. He's the creator, and we're the creation. And I'm about to try to use this creaturely language to describe who God is. And I'm not going to go anywhere else other than just his word. And that's where I'm going to go to try to describe this. And I'm not going to give you any illustration because every illustration of who God is really falls short. So I'm not going to try to use this egg, whatever that people use. I'm just not going to do that. And so I began to describe to him that this is why the Bible tells us that we must have faith. Because faith goes beyond our human reasoning. Right? All of us have this human reasoning. And to give you an example... Our reasoning as human beings and our scientific knowledge tells us that the universe had a beginning, right? That there is this beginning point of the universe. Now, after that, all of us have to have faith after that. Some of us have faith that these two things collide in in some random fashion, and then it created all of this orderly world and this beautiful world and every single mind and soul which we see from beginning to end. Some of us have faith in that. Others have faith in this God who created, who loved, who was an intentional, who's intelligent, and who is almighty and all-powerful with all authority, with all love. God created. You see, all of us have faith. It just depends where you place your faith in. Because our reasoning only takes us so far. Our reasoning can only take us as far as our minds can conceive, but God is beyond that. So when we begin to think of God as triune and that he's three in one, we have to keep that in mind. Because if God was something that we could understand and and comprehend, we could just make another God. But that's not the case. God is, is, uh, the word in Spanish comes to me, unico, uh, which in English would be like the only one. Sorry, sometimes I think in different ways, but God is the only one. He's one and he's triune. So let's kind of dig that out a little bit and tether that out a little bit. God is triune, right? So he sees, we see that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we look at the creation of the world, we see that God spoke things into existence. And then we look at John 1.1 1, 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and, and the Word was God. And Jesus is the only one that has said that he is the Word. So in creation, we have God the Father who is speaking, and Jesus is the word in which things are being created by. And then in Genesis, again, you have this spirit that hovers over the waters. So in creation, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all present. So we'll fast forward a little bit, and we go to Jesus and how he's being baptized by John the Baptist. And here's like his commissioning to the ministry. And you have the Father who is saying, this is my Son who I am well pleased. And so you have the Father there, you have the Son there, and then you have the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. And so all are present right there in the commissioning of Jesus. And then even in our salvation, all three persons of the Trinity are a part of that. And Jesus himself says, I'm going to give you someone who is myself that is going to be with you even though I'm I'm not here physically. I'm going to give you my spirit. And so even with us, we see that God is triune and, and the creation and the commission and then in us. And, 
And we see that he is one God. You know, I love the Shema. The Shema is this Jewish prayer and this Jewish song that we see in Deuteronomy that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And it keeps on going. But it's this reality that God is one. But he has displayed his glory and he has revealed himself as three persons. And there are three persons in one. And your mind right now is like, oh my gosh, how does that make sense? What well, it doesn't. He's God. It's like, what? But we, we know how God has revealed himself in creation, but also in the scriptures. And so I hope that as we think of God as triune, it doesn't lead us to doubt God. It leads us to praise him. Because ultimately in our lives, God doesn't ask for our understanding. He asks for our obedience. That's who God is. He's like, look, I'm asking you to obey me, not understand every single detail of who I am. And so as we look at the scripture of what Jesus is telling, me, telling us that we ought to do, we see that us as a church, really the church must cultivate deliverers of the word of God. The church must cultivate delivers of the word of God. It wasn't too long ago where I was sitting with a baseball player and we were playing and we were bowling and we were with all these other baseball players and he was from California and I was thinking, Lord, how can I have a gospel conversation? Because really we live in a world that uh, when you talk about Jesus, when you say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? They just really turn you away. They're like, yeah, I don't want to talk about that, whatever. So we have to get a little crafty, and I, and I say that with a lot of humility of saying the message is the same, but we have to really be intentional with our mode. So the mode is different, but the message is the same. And so what I love to do is just ask questions. I'm a big questions guy. So I began to ask this gentleman questions, and, and I began to ask about, you know, where he was from. He told me California, and I said, well, tell me more about California. And he began to describe all these things, and I said, well, look, you've been in Oklahoma for a while. What's the difference between California and Oklahoma? He told me all these things about how Oklahoma is the worst and California is the best. And I was like, well, depends, depends. And, uh, and then he said, well, and so then I asked him, I said, well, tell me, like, is there more churches in Oklahoma than California? And he goes, oh, yeah, man, definitely, definitely. And I was like, why do you think that is? So I began to ask these questions. He had no idea what I, you know, that I was just trying to have a gospel conversation with him. By the end of the conversation, we were talking about how people in his school were not Christians and that there was only a little bit and that he didn't have much interaction with them. And I finally got to the question of like, so did you grow up with any spiritual beliefs? And by that time, as we're having this gospel conversation, he was telling me what he believed. And so then I left it there. I said, well, hey, man, thank you for sharing all that. We kept on bowling, and a couple minutes later, he said, well, you asked me all those questions. What about you? What do you believe? And I was like, nice. I'll tell you what I believe. And it was this moment of just asking questions that I was able to open that door with that conversation. And I think there are many times that as believers, we have to be better at listening before responding. And we have to be better at listening at others before we just give them all this thing because we're not trying to thump some religion on them. We're trying to tell them about the glory of God and and how he has saved us, and how we have this hope in him, and how he transforms us, because we're the worst, we're sinners, we're so dead, and we need him to make us alive. And so as we think of that we are deliverers of the word of God, 
I want to make sure that you guys understand that we understand that there's this wise pattern that Jesus gives us. This wise pattern, Acts 1.8, that says we are to go first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. It's this pattern that we have adopted as a church, and I'm thankful for Keith Davis, because he said we are to go here and there and everywhere. And it's this beautiful pattern of saying we have to go here before we go there, and before we go there we have to go here, and before we go everywhere we have to go here and there. So it's this cycle. And I hope that we're a church that that we are not so focused on there and everywhere that we neglect the here. Now, now, I hope I say that in a way that you understand me, that I think it's so important to go there and to go everywhere. It is so important to go to national missions and then international missions. Yes. But let, let me tell you, if, if we're supposed to go there and, and everywhere and interact with people and engage with people and engage with other cultures and backgrounds that are not like us over there, well, if we're not doing it here, how do we expect to do it over there? You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if we're the ones that are supposed to say, okay, let's give the gospel to those people who are not like us, but we're not interacting with those who are not like us here, something just doesn't connect. And so I want to make sure that we, that we understand and that, that you understand that I'm not saying, hey, let's not go there everywhere. I am saying that's important. Like, I hope us as a church continue to do that and that we continue to do that because that's so important. But let's not neglect the here. And I'm going to focus on the here just for a little bit of saying the here, yes, is our neighborhood, but also it's within our walls. Now, again, I'm a huge advocate of going outside of our walls, and that's so important. But I, I think that as a church, if we can exercise and if we can build up each other here in these, in, within these four walls, that's going to make us stronger as we go outside the walls. And that's why it's so important as a church to cultivate this culture of deliverers because we're strengthening each other because really we have to help each other out so we can better help other people. As we go out, we edify one another, we sharpen one another. And so as we look at this, the scripture is clearly telling us that we are not just to be spectators of the kingdom of God, but we are supposed to be participators of the kingdom of God. That's what it should be like, not just spectators sitting and watching and cheering on Jesus, but participators, and that's what he's calling us to do right here. And the thing is, is that being a, being a participator in the kingdom of God doesn't just mean having this, volu- like this volunteer title at a church. Man, that is walking life with people. That is being with people in your work, in your job, on the playground, on your way to work, in the family. We participate in the kingdom of God in all of those areas. But I do want to focus a little bit right now in this kind of volunteer area. I don't know if you guys know this, but really this congregation and this facility is a revitalization. And we need so much help. There's so much need to be met here. Like right now, we need people in guest services who are able to share the gospel in one minute or less. We need people who are in the production team that are putting words in the mouths of people who are using lighting and sound to give this incredible direction to God. And we need more people in the band who can use their gifts for the glory of God and saying, God, we give you the glory and we lead people to your throne. We need people. We need people with preschool and kids and youth who are so passionate about raising up the next generation that is really the now generation of today. That's who they are. We need more teachers of the word so that we can sharpen each other so we can go out and teach the word. 
Right now, there's so many needs within our four walls that we get to exercise, and I hope that we are participators in that. And, and please hear me say this with so much love and with so much grace, but I hope that we're a church that we're not just spectating because we're lazy. I really hope that's not us. I really hope that we're not just sitting back because, okay, you know, this is nice, I'm gonna be lazy. And the thing is, is that maybe some of us are not volunteering, man, because we need a break. That's okay, take a break, please do. But that doesn't mean you take a break from kingdom work. It just means you're taking a break from a little title and titles are just, you know, whatever. But that's okay, some of us need rest and healing and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't make you a spectator. But I do hope that some of us in this room that we would say, okay, Lord, where am I at? Lord, am I just sitting here as a spectator and just wanting to be given stuff rather than participating in your kingdom and your work right here, right now? And so maybe that's you. And I want to challenge you this morning, if that's okay, to write down if that's you. If that's you this morning, that you're just being a spectator out of laziness or something else, can I ask you to ask yourself that question of why? Why am I just a spectator? And write it down on your phone, on a piece of paper, because that's, that's something where you have to be honest between yourself and between the Lord. Because as we look around as believers, as born-again believers, if, if we see a need, man, it's got to be met. And I want to challenge us as a church to see the needs within our four walls and to meet them to edify one another, to strengthen each other, because that's what we're meant to do. And so we've seen this morning that God is triune, and we've seen that as a church we are to cultivate this culture of deliverers, deliverers of the word of God. The next thing that we see in verse 20 is that God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. So let's look right here in verse 20 because it continues to say, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. You see, in verse 20, it continues with this, and teaching. So that's part of what we just talked about, being deliverers of the word. And again, deliver, being a deliverer of the word doesn't mean you have to stand up here. It doesn't mean you have to teach a class. Some of us have kids, and we're to deliver the word and teach them the word. And that's what we're talking about right here is that God is trustworthy because he is trustworthy and his teaching is trustworthy. And as we look that, really I just want to focus in on this last part where it says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see this phrase is yet another promise of God. Just another promise of his where he's saying, look, I'm with you. I'm omniscient. I'm there with you. And there's so much weight in this. And as we look at this other promise of God saying, I'm with you always, man, we got to believe that. We got to trust God saying, okay, God, what you're saying is real, that you are with us always. You see, God didn't have to gain our trust. He didn't have to. He's God. But he's given us every single reason to trust him every single reason to trust him. So when we look back at the covenants that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see that he fulfilled those covenants. He fulfilled every covenant in the Old Testament. And then last week, we looked at this new covenant of grace in God through Jesus, this covenant that was written by his life, that was signed by his blood on the cross, that was fulfilled and completed by his resurrection, and was absolutely sealed and stamped by the Holy Spirit. 
This covenant is trustworthy because God has made it so clear that he is trustworthy. And I don't know who needs to hear it in this room or who needs to be reminded today, but God is trustworthy. And I've said it like three times, hoping that you just get it ingrained in your mind because so many times we forget. So many times we're in these places in our lives that we're like, God, I'm really doubting. God, I don't know where you are. God, what is going on? And all these things are going on, and you're like, I don't even know if I can trust God. And God is like, dude, man, I've shown you time and time again that I'm trustworthy. I've shown you time and time again that I'm with you. And as we look at this, it's so beautiful to see how Matthew ended his gospel. Because if you look at Matthew, Chapter 1, and I'm pretty sure it's verse 28, somewhere around there, where it's talking about how the angel of the Lord went to Mary, and that the angel said, look, Mary, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus right here is saying, I'm with you. Oh, my goodness. It is this bookend, a bookend of saying God is with us from beginning to end. He is faithful to the end from beginning to end. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is almighty. And, and that's what we see right here. He's given us every reason to trust him. And, and the thing is, is that we must believe in this God and we must trust in this God that we believe. We have to trust God. We have to trust him for our salvation, yes, But hey, trust him for your sanctification. Trust him with your family. Trust him with the healing. Trust him with all these other things in your life, even the small things that sometimes feel like big things like finances. Trust him. He has given us every reason to do that. And in these moments where, again, we're doubting and we're like, okay, God, what's going on? We have to remember that God's ways are higher than our ways. That's just a reality. His ways are so much higher than our ways, and his thoughts are so much greater than our thoughts. And I know some of us, we feel so alone sometimes, right? We feel so alone, and we're like, God, I don't have anybody in my life. God, I'm not comforted by anyone in my life. And we're just in our head, and we just can't get out of our head. And, you know, and then you have these thoughts of like, you know what? This world is better off without me. Those are just a bunch of lies, Others are so many lies because you're not alone. God is literally saying, I am with you always. That's forever to the very end of the age. Those are his very words to not just his disciples there, but to the disciples now, to his followers now. That is what God is saying. So we've seen, right, that the church cultivates deliverers of his word. But then we see that the church cultivates discoverers of his word. The church cultivates, discovers of the word of God. You know, I'm so thankful for my grandpa. Uh, His name is Carlos Moreno. He's my abuelito, love him to death. He's a pastor. Um, And I'm so grateful that after I was transformed by the Lord and he just gave me a new heart and I was saved by his grace, I was so grateful for the times that him and I sat at the table and it was after eating some pozole or some tacos or enchiladas or whatever. And he would sit there and he'd say, hey, let's just, like, let's just look at a passage. Let's just look at it. And I'll never forget the moment where he showed me Ephesians 2, 8, uh, really 8 and 9, where it says it's by faith that you've been saved, not by works. And I was like, whoa, 
okay. That just like solidified my faith so much more. I was like, God, thank you. Oh, my goodness. And I'm so grateful for, for my grandpa because he cultivated in me this thing of discovering God's word. Because discovering means that really we're just finding something that's already there and not making something up. We're just finding what God has already said in his word. And so I'm so grateful for him for how he cultivated me to be a discoverer. And really that's our responsibility as a church and as other disciples is to disciple other people to discover the word of God, knowing that God's word is authoritative, that it's trustworthy, that it's relevant for our life right now in 2020. Like it is so relevant and it's authentic and it's truly the perfect guide for life. It really is. That is a responsibility that we have as disciples. And so as I think of us as a family of faith and, and how we are disciples, I really hope that we are disciples who are born-again believers that have not accidentally created a salvation culture rather than a gospel culture. Because I think that in a world right now, we have accidentally done that. We have accidentally created a salvation culture rather than a gospel culture. And what I mean by that is that a salvation culture cultivates people to think that they can just be deciders, right? Just fans of Jesus and just saying, okay, God, you're cool, whatever. That's not what it is. Following Jesus is just not a decision, and so I hope that we don't fall into this trap of this salvation culture that all you have to do is just make a decision and become a decider, and after that, you're okay. Instead, we have to be a church that cultivates this gospel culture, this gospel culture that takes people of the gospel in its entirety from creation to redemption to the glorification of God, this gospel culture that says there's so much profound and richness in the word of God, and there's value in knowing it. There's value in teaching each other and teaching others and sharing that and being a true disciple because there's so much sustaining power in the one triune God. The thing is, church, is that we are not a body of deciders. We're a body of disciples. That is who we are. We're not just people who have made a decision and that's it. We are people who, yes, we made a decision, but we keep going and we bring people in and say, Lord, uh, how can I have other people in my life to disciple and to have them follow you and to teach them what you've taught me? Every single command that you have given us in this word. And I think that word is so relevant for us today because we can look out and we can see a lot of deciders. And, and maybe some of us in this room are deciders and not truly disciples. And so I hope that the Lord, man, that you're just hearing the Lord and that you are just saying, God, maybe that's me. And so as we end this morning, I just have two questions for you. So the first question is really directed more to the believers in the room, the, the born-again believers. My question is, do you find yourself this morning being a spectator rather than a participator? Do you find yourself in that position? Do you find yourself maybe just liking the laziness or liking the, the way you just get to sit here and then leave? That's my question. I say that with a lot of love. Like, I'm not trying to point anyone out, and I'm not saying I know someone, but I'm just saying that, is the Lord working in your life? And, and I hope that today you would pray and say, God, how am I to use all of who I am 
in all of what you've given me and the way that you've transformed me for your glory here, there, and everywhere. I so ask that you would pray that this morning, that you would see how God is to be using you of moving you from a spectator to a participator. Because maybe that's you, and, and maybe you heard me talk about the certain teams that we really need here at our church. Man, Jonathan's gonna be over here, I'm gonna be over here. Please come to us and say, hey, I, I want to, uh, I wanna help out. I wanna use the gifts that God has given me. And maybe you find yourself in this room and maybe you're not a born again believer. Maybe you find yourself as a fan and not really a follower. Maybe you find yourself as a decider, not really a disciple. This morning, I, I wanna tell you that the Lord is so good and that he created the entire universe and he didn't just create it and leave it, but he created it and he saw that we needed him because we are broken people. We are sinful people. We are children of wrath without the Lord. And he came down to our filth and he died a death that we deserved. He lived a life that we couldn't live and he rose from the grave proclaiming that he has power and authority over all things and he has power and authority to transform who you are. And that one day when we die, that's not where it ends but it continues for eternity with the Lord. Because maybe that's you this morning. So we're gonna go into a time of reflection, of prayer, and then of response with the singing. And I plead with you to respond to the Lord this morning. So let's pray. Lord, you are the author of life. You're the author of our salvation. God, I'm so grateful for your word that encourages us, knowing that you are almighty and trustworthy. But God, I'm also so grateful for your word that challenges us, that challenges us that in, within our own families, within our own church, within our own uh, state, within our own nation, within our own world, we are to be discoverers of your word and deliverers of your word. Because it is your word and it is who you are that is the solution to the problems to solution of the cultural tension, the solution of our loneliness, the solution to all these things that we're dealing with. Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to move in this place and in this family and these people and my friends. Lord, you are great. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.